Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to spend some time in the book of Genesis. The title of this message is A Recipe for Crazy. A Recipe for Crazy. And the... The heart behind this message, really, it's designed to help crazy people feel normal, okay? How many of you have realized, as you've spent a growing amount of time as a Christ follower, how many of you have realized that the more you walk with him, the crazier the stuff he asks you to do happens to be? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Yeah, like in the beginning, he starts you off easy, and then as you walk with him more and more, you you feel like you live in crazy town USA sometimes, you know? that God asked you to do some really big things. And let me help you understand something. It's not crazy. It's your calling. It's your calling. And walking out this calling of yours is crazy. And there's someone in the Bible that I believe God strategically, specifically positioned for us as a reminder, one of the reminders of what a Christ-following life is meant to look like. And it's meant to have an element of crazy. And what I want to do in this message is give you a couple of ingredients for this crazy life called walking out your calling, all right? Because all of you have one, and God has given it to you. Noah had a very specific calling. And you could also say Noah's calling was crazy, all right? If you don't know the story of Noah, Noah, we're going to read through it, is a man God handpicked to build a massive boat, all right? So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9, the story of Noah. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person. Now, this is not speaking about the righteousness of Noah. In other words, his standing between himself and God. This is talking about his standing between himself and man. He was blameless. Nobody had anything against him. He was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures. He was just frustrated that day. It's obvious. I'm just going to kill everybody. For they've filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And here's where Noah's calling comes into play. God says, Noah, here's what I want you to do. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door in the side and build three decks inside the boat. Lower, middle, and upper. Glad you clarified that, God, because we weren't sure what to call those decks. Verse 17, God says, Noah, look. I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. There's kind of an implied dot, dot, dot there. Everything on earth will die, not everything in this boat. Nothing in this boat will die. Noah, if you'll do everything I say while everything else dies, you will survive. Not only that, you will thrive in this new season. Noah had a specific calling, and some of you might be looking at the story of Noah and going, uh, I don't have a calling like that. 
Like, I don't see God asking me to build some big random boat in my backyard. I don't even have a yard, Preston. I live in an apartment. Okay, listen. What you need to remember is Noah had that as his calling. You don't, but that doesn't mean you don't have one, and it doesn't mean that yours isn't big. You do have a calling, and it is big. Here's how I know it's big. Because of the God of the universe was the one that gave it to you. He doesn't play small time. He's given you a really big calling. Whatever he calls you to build is going to seem bigger to you than that boat seemed to Noah. Because it's big. It's so big that there's some days you probably feel crazy walking it out. That leads us to the first ingredient of this crazy life of walking out God's calling for you. Point number one, first ingredient, misunderstood faith. Misunderstood faith. Crazy is the word the scared use to describe those filled with faith. That's how they talk about people with faith. Listen, if you look at me as I follow Christ and imitate him, and I always look normal to you, I'm not doing something right. Because following Christ is going to make you look crazy from time to time. People are going to misunderstand your faith as you walk in it. It's just a part of following Jesus. Noah was completely misunderstood. He was mocked. Think about this. One of the reasons he was mocked, you know how old Noah was when he became a dad? 500. Some of y'all are 80 and you're going, I'm running out of time. Clearly not. I know they don't live to be that long. You got more time than you think. Noah, listen, Noah got on that boat when he was 600. I'm not in midlife crisis. I'm just getting started. Think about this. They were mocking him constantly. They're probably saying things, old man, what do you think you're doing even trying to build this boat? Never mind, it's not even going to rain. Holmes, you're like 542 years old. Okay, he was misunderstood as he walked out his calling by faith. If everybody around you thinks you're normal, something is wrong. You are not called to be normal. You're called to be crazy. You are called to be crazy. This is the life we signed up for. I remember when I felt the Lord say that, it was time for us to come back to Scottsdale to start this church. And at the time, Gateway was considered to be one of the, if not the fastest growing churches in America, in Dallas. And I'd grown up there. I had everything I could ever want there. I was doing ministry with my best friends and working for my heroes. I had the life. And then God said, it's time to leave. And I remember sharing with a few friends outside of Gateway what I was feeling like God was saying. And they all Almost all of them said the exact same thing verbatim when I told them I felt like God was telling me it was time to leave and go start a church from scratch. Here's what they said. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, Preston. They actually said this was dumb. By proxy, they were calling you dumb, okay? <laughs> Don't you feel offended? Okay, they were all saying, Preston, like we work at, at good churches, but we would kill to be on staff at Gateway. Like you have everything you could ever want at that church. Why would you leave? There's only one answer, because God said. Because God said. Because God said. You know that's one of the best answers in the human language. Why are you so crazy? Because God said. Why are you doing that? Because God said. 
I was completely misunderstood. And listen, there were times where I listened to their opinion far too much. It is a dangerous thing to listen to the opinion of those who are not in the middle of the conversation God is having with you. That's nasty. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> I'm just so thankful that God speaks. It's so much fun. Listen, you're going to be misunderstood if you walk out your calling. And people are going to say things about you, that you're crazy, that you're foolish. And there are times you're going to have to leave, just like I did, something that seems like a sure thing. And you may not want to. Remember, leaving what is comfortable will always seem crazy to your flesh, simply because the flesh craves comfort and convenience and curses a challenge. But when God says, do it. Some of you are right now being called crazy, maybe by your own family. Can I just tell you, you're in really good company? You're in really good company. Let me show you one passage of scripture. Mark chapter three, verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. People were going crazy around them. When his family heard what was happening, Jesus' flesh and blood in the earth, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Jesus' own flesh and blood looked at him, walking out the calling our heavenly father gave him and said, he has done lost his mind. Okay, listen. When you know you are following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you are walking out the calling the God of the universe personally gave you and crafted for you and crafted you for it. Listen, when they call you crazy, you just need to remember they said it of Jesus too. It's one of the best compliments you can be paid as you walk following God as a follower of Jesus Christ. Never ever let the scrutiny of the uninformed majority become your priority. Don't listen to what they're saying. If they are not in the middle of the conversation that God is having with you, don't listen to their conversation. Here's point number two. An ingredient that is a necessity if you're going to walk out this calling God's given you. Obvious confirmations. You're going to have obvious confirmations. I know I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I want to go a little bit further this week because it is one of the best parts about walking out your calling. Part of the unknown journey the best part about it is when God confirms that he's with you and is going before you. Confirmation is God's memorably creative way of repeating something he's already told you. Here, here's another way to say it. Confirmation is a gift that God gives you so that on those days where you want to quit, you don't. It's the sweet gift of God beforehand giving you something so that when you get into those tough days, when the cloud gets dark and heavy, God gives you confirmations all along the way so that you don't quit. When I was probably 13 or 14, and I felt like it was the first time God had ever spoken to me about what I was supposed to do with my life, unfortunately, I kind of took it the wrong way. I mean, I, I was just a young kid, and I was reading through the Bible for the first time all the way through, and, and felt God really clearly say that I was going to be a pastor and I, would, I was going to do a church and all this stuff. Well, the problem was I immediately got really cocky. 
Like I was walking around church like a prancing peacock. I mean, I was, I was given this number. Like I got a calling from the God of the universe. I was called to do something y'all can't. I am the man. Okay. I'm in no way justifying my immature pride. But now that I'm a dad, I look at it a little bit differently. It was actually kind of cute and sweet what I did. Here's why. See, I was cocky at the time because I thought it meant I was special. But you know what I've learned in 20 years of ministry? All of us are special. He's given every one of you a calling. Think about how amazing that is. That the God of the universe handcrafted a calling and handpicked you to walk it out. You should get a little confident and have a little swagger in your step. The God of the universe picked you. But never forget, the point of confirmation is not confidence, it's conviction. God doesn't give you confirmation so that you'll be overconfident. He gives you confirmation so that on those tough days, you'll remain convinced that it was he who said this was your calling. Here's another way to say it. God doesn't give us confirmation so that we'll be confident on the way to the palace. God gives us confirmation so that we will remain convinced in the bottom of the pit. Listen, there are going to be tough days. One of the beautiful gifts God gives that protect us, our hearts, our minds on those tough days is confirmation. Things that impossibly add up that only God could do. It's the way he does it. And he does this for Noah incredibly. And I know many of us, as we think about Noah's story, we think, oh yeah, there was one massive confirmation, the rainbow. So let's look at it, but then let's talk about whether this was the only confirmation Noah got. Genesis 6, verse 18, before he ever gets on the boat, God says, I will confirm, Noah, my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. If you skip ahead a couple of chapters, Genesis 9, verse 18, they're getting off the boat, they're off now, storm is over. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby, right now, Confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, every living creature on the earth, even the snakes. How many of you wish the snakes wouldn't have made it onto the boat? Yeah, me for sure, especially in the desert. Snakes and scorpions should have died in that storm. People say God doesn't make mistakes. I'm pretty sure he made a mistake with that one. Verse 11, yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you, Noah. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign. I'm giving you a sign, a confirmation of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Now, we see this really big confirmation, right? The rainbow. Like, don't you wish that every confirmation from God was that obvious, like a rainbow over the job you're supposed to take? That would be amazing. It's always easy to see confirmation like that. But I think many of us, I think all of us, get consistent confirmation from the Lord, but we just don't see it. Just put yourself in Noah's shoes for a second, okay? Just insert yourself into his story. Do you really think that was the only confirmation Noah got all along the way? Think about it like this. I like this one-liner. The rainbow confirmed God's covenant with Noah. 
But the fact that it actually rained confirmed God's calling of Noah. When it started raining, don't you think Noah for a second looked around like, what? See, I told y'all God called me. It was God all along. When it started raining, that was confirmation. But do you think there was confirmation even before that? Of course there was. When God says to Noah, hey, got a project for you. Build this boat and get two of every kind of animal on the earth onto the boat. Do you think Noah even knew all the animals on the earth? It's believed that there were up to 120,000 animals on that boat. For you detail-oriented people, you'd have been freaking out. I want to get it right. The pleaser perfectionist, you know, I want to get it right, but I don't even know all the animals. What do you think it was like the first time Noah, as he's sawing wood, trying to finish the boat, saw two rhinoceros that he'd never seen before walking down Main Street towards his ship? Do you think he'd have been like, hmm, that's odd? Or do you think he was like, that's what God said, two by two, all the animals. It was confirmation. How about when Noah one day saw the rabbits and the deer walking up the ramp and the crocodiles were behind them with their mouths closed? Confirmation. You know Noah was like, the boys were probably betting on how long it would take before the crocodiles ate the deer. Crocodiles keep their mouths shut. Are you getting the point? That was a confirmation in and of itself. You are getting constant confirmation. But do you see them? And let me just say this. Some of you are in the storm of your lifetime and you're going, Preston, I haven't seen a confirmation in months that God is in this. Can I just remind you that one of the best confirmations God's given you is that you're still going in the middle of this storm. Sometimes that's all the confirmation you need, that you're still floating. You haven't drowned yet. God is constantly confirming to his children. When he speaks, he has no problem repeating himself because he doesn't want his children second-guessing or doubting what he said. So like a good dad, he sweetly repeats himself. Genesis 7, verse 15. I'll give you another confirmation. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes, a male and female of each, entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Think about this. Why did God close the door? I think it's because they couldn't. Can you imagine? It starts to rain, and this monster ship with a huge door. I wonder which one of the boys looked. It had to be the smart aleck. It was probably Japheth, because with a a name like that, you got to kind of be ornery, you know? I think Japheth looked at the door as it starts to downpour and goes, uh, guys, has anybody thought about how we're going to close that door? Anybody got the clicker for that thing? And I just wonder if in that moment, God supernaturally closed the door right then. You know, I think it's funny that God inserts things into scripture that completely tell the story of what happened historically, but they also speak to us prophetically, because I guarantee you, with a room full of people this size, that there are some people in this room who are right now angry at God because a door just closed and God closed it. They're frustrated with him. They're tempted to walk away from him simply because what was on the other side of that door is what you thought was the path to your dream coming true. 
and God, for some reason, closed the door. If that's you, can I just lovingly remind you, your God, your Heavenly Father, doesn't close doors to keep you from enjoying paradise. He closes doors to keep you from drowning in the rain. I know today it looks like God meanly shut the door. But I'm telling you right now, any time God shuts a door in your life, it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. In the long run, Preston, that's not what I want to hear right now. I don't care what you want to hear right now. You need to hear that God closed that door. And it may not make sense for a couple of years, but at some point it will. Because any time God closes a door, it's for your good. It's confirmation. God closed the door, made it obvious. Now, I do want to cover something before I move to point three. Because some believers get a little bit sideways as it relates to confirmation. They look at something that is just a coincidence and say it's confirmation. Never ever look at a coincidence and call it a confirmation, okay? I remember one time when Holly and I were looking for a a house the last time we were looking at homes and we told our realtor who attends this church with this family now and and we said, you know, we feel like this house is gonna be kind of a divine process. It's gonna be crazy, but it's gonna be obvious. Okay, and it, and it may not make sense to you, but it, it's, we feel like God's given us a word, and we're just gonna wait and wait and wait and let God do what he wants to do. So we kind of, you know, calibrated him a little bit. So we were looking down in Tempe at a house, and, I, I, you know, when you can just walk into a house, and in the first step, you know whether it's your house or not, you know? Like, I walk in, and I was like, this is not my house. Surely the Lord is not in this place, okay? <laughs> and we're walking around the house, and we get to the garage, and there is a, a personally painted picture of the face of Jesus. And our realtor, who is a funny guy, he goes, it's a sign. You told me it was going to be obvious. There's a picture of Jesus in the garage. This is your house. I said, Brad, honestly, I look at that same picture of Jesus in this garage, and I'm pretty convinced he is saying, Preston, turn and run. This is not your house. But how many times do we look at coincidences, and because we're so desperate to put God's stamp of approval on something our flesh approves of, we take a coincidence and call it confirmation. We're silly enough to shop for a TV we can't afford. And when we go and shop with our spouse, we pull up to Best Buy, and there is the best parking space that just opens up at the front of the store, and the rest of the parking lot is a zoo. And we have the gall to say out loud, it's a sign. I'm supposed to buy this television I can't afford. God, you're so good. You gave me, and you know God is chuckling going, fool, I gave you a sign. You got no money. (laughs) listen a coincidence is something any man can manipulate but confirmation is something only God can reveal a coincidence is something we look at and we say it must be God confirmation is when God points at something and says this is God big difference he makes it obvious here's 
the last thing before we move on, and it ties into point number three. Confirmation, if you really want to see it, is the gift most often opened by the obedient. When you're doing everything God asks you, confirmation will never be a problem in your life. That brings us to point number three, unwavering obedience. Unwavering obedience is a necessity in walking out this calling God has given you. Genesis 6, verse 19. God says, bring a pair of every kind of animal, Noah, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all of the animals. Verse 22, so Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was on your tombstone at the end of your life? And she did everything God asked her to do, exactly the way God asked her to do it. She did everything exactly the way God commanded. But see, here's one of the problems as it relates to obedience in the mind of many believers. We see it as a bad thing. We kind of look at obedience like slavery. That when God comes to us and says, hey, do this, why are you treating me like a slave? Come, come on, God. Can you ask a little more nicely? Why do we look at obedience like it was slavery? Let me, let me just give you two thoughts. If you kind of think when God commands you to do something that it's the equivalent of slavery, let me just point something out. How could obedience be like slavery if the reward is so big for doing it? Have you ever read Deuteronomy 28? If you haven't, go home and read it. The first half, God says, hey, let me just give you a small laundry list of ways I respond to your obedience. He basically says, I rip open the windows of heaven and bless you in ways that will render you speechless every time you do what I ask you to do. How could obedience be like slavery with that kind of reward? How about this? How can obedience be like slavery if the God of the universe is the one asking for it? Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. You're not just family. My friends do what I ask them to do. Now think about it like this. I want you just to pick the most famous person whom you admire right now. Just kind of get them in your mind, all right? And I want you to imagine that your phone rang right now and this most famous person whom you admire was on the other end of the line. Hello? This famous person says, hi, my name is so-and-so, Michael Jordan. I have a favor to ask of you. Okay, just how many of you, if let's just say Michael Jordan called you and said he needed a favor, how many of you would go, stop treating me like a slave, man? I, for one, would not. I'd be like, Michael, Tell me exactly what you want. I'll do whatever you ask me to do as long as it doesn't go against Scripture. Fire away, my man. I'll do anything you ask me to do. Okay, why would I ever celebrate Michael Jordan asking me to do something, but I penalize the God of the universe when he asks me to do something? There's only one reason, because I see obedience the wrong way. Do you know how big of a deal it is that the God of the universe would pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, I need you to do something for me. 
How in the world have we made that such a bad thing? Obedience is one of the best opportunities you will ever have in your life. But I get it. It's not easy. Being obedient is not always easy. It absolutely involves a determined no and a dedicated yes. But while obedience may not be easy, it always, always, always pays off. That brings us to the fourth ingredient in this crazy life as you walk out your calling. Point number four, extravagant sacrifice. Extravagant sacrifice is a must if you're gonna walk out this calling that God has given you. The crazier the calling, here's a heads up, the scarier the sacrifices. Some of you are like, Preston, please don't finish this point. I don't wanna be held accountable for what you're about to say. So you're getting on your phone, acting like I don't hear this. You're singing a song in your head going, la, 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 I can't hear you. Now listen, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who made the single greatest sacrifice in all of human history, how would any of us ever think we could successfully walk out this calling following him without extravagant sacrifice? Extravagant sacrifice is the price of admission to this game of walking out your calling. And I want to show you something that Noah was so, I think we just read over this stuff, but it's so beautiful what he did. Genesis 8, verse 18. They're getting off the boat. The storm is over. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat, and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat, pair by pair. Then Noah, right then and there, in that moment, built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. And look at verse 21. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of sacrifice. Okay, insert yourself into Noah's story. Because we just read that and go, oh, that's great. Noah sacrificed the animals God had already approved to be sacrificed. But I want you just to think for a moment that you get off this boat and all the animals start running away. And you look around and you notice there's not one living thing left on the earth. How many of us would have had the thought, uh, boys, let's quickly keep some of these animals close in case we run out of food. Let's build a pen. Let's keep some of these animals because we're going to run out of food fast. These 120,000 animals are going to flee quickly. Keep them close in case we need extra food. I would have been thinking that. Noah gets off the boat, and before he even looks around to survey the resources available to him, he looks up rather than looking around and says, God, you're the only reason we made it this far. And so we will sacrifice in the presence of our God. And scripture says in verse 21 that it was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Think about that for a second. They were burning animals. Have you ever smelled burnt flesh before? I wonder if there was some honorary angel at the time as God was going, oh, that smells so good. I wonder if there was an honorary angel named Press standing there going, that stinks. Like, what smells so good about that? And I wonder if in heaven God just said, no, no, no. It's not the smell of what's burning. 
It's the smell of what he's doing. He could have held on to this food, but he got off that boat and he sacrificed these animals. What smells good to me is not what's burning, it's how he's trusting. Every time you sacrifice, you have to understand that God is peering over the balcony of heaven going, oh, that smells so good. I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of him. When she could be hoarding, she's releasing, thereby letting me and everyone watching, she trusts me. He trusts me. Listen, I am here to affirm that you are crazy. You're crazy for being here. You've done lost your mind. You are crazy for signing up to be a Christ follower. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people that are around you. You're crazy. You're crazy for some of the things that you say. You're crazy for some of the things that you do. Can I tell you something though? In the Greek, there are two definitions for the word existemai, which means crazy. One definition means to lose one's mind. The other definition means to astonish greatly. Do you understand that as you walk out your calling, yes, the devil is taunting you right next to you going, you've lost your mind. You have done lost your mind. At the very same time, isn't it kind of sarcastic that the God of the universe is using the exact same word to go, oh, sweetheart, you've not lost your mind. If you will continue to hold my hand and do everything I ask you to do, the two of us are going to astonish the world greatly. You, my friend, are crazy. Welcome to the club. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.